0: Yeah, it's good to see all of you, and um, we're going to be continuing on in our Summer 11 series. I thought I was going to get a cool intro video or something, but that's okay. Um, I'm just like, want to watch it more and more to pick up on all the innuendos that our team tried to sneak in there. I have to have one conversation a week every time somebody's like, does this mean this? And I'm like, I don't know, I'll talk to them. Anyway, it's good to see everybody, and I hope that you've been having a, a great Sunday so far. Yesterday was our um, block party, which was really exciting. And uh, if you were there, uh, you know that it was a fun time. And I just want to thank our kids team, Sarah Ruth, and all the volunteers that got involved in that. It was really cool to just watch people in the neighborhood around 100 Fergus just, like, walking by. And, and I saw one uh, dad, and he was just walking with his kids and clearly didn't know, like, the event was happening but it was just kind of like looking over. And you could see the kid like, come on, dad, like, can we go? And the dad's like, and he's like trying to like figure out what's going on. And just their, their, their pace slowed down. And then finally he's like, well, yeah, I guess we could go check it out. And they came over and they were there nearly the entire time. And uh, I was just trying to like pretend like I didn't see what, you know, the whole debate and everything else. But they were having a great time. And so, I mean, it was a win, I think, for just us as family. Any families in the church appreciative of our family's team. Yeah. Like just, I mean, I was thinking, like, our kids running around getting tickets. Like, squishies right now are the all the rage. Uh, squishies are are simply just like little squish things. They're like anything. Anything could be a squishy as long as it's, it's squishy. They're tiny. Like a sun, small squishy could be a squishy. Uh, a truck, small squishy could be a squishy. Anyway, kids are are amazed by these things. And they're like running around, getting tickets, buying squishies, arguing about who squishies who, my squishy ripped, I get your squishy. And at the end of the day, I just kept thinking, like, man, our kids are blessed to grow up in a church that focuses on them, uh, not only wants them to have fun, but disciples them. Like right now, our kids are learning phenomenal things about their faith. And, and so I'm just really thankful for our kids' ministry and, and everything that they do. Okay, we're jumping into... Um, a series, or sorry, we're jumping into the, the middle of a series called Summer Lovin', and um, my, my hope out of what's going to be communicated today is that it adds value to everyone's relationships in the room. I'm going to have a bent towards marriages because I think that it's important to uh, have a few weeks in the, rare, uh, in, in the, in the rear, in the year that focus on marriages, I think it's really important. But for all of us that aren't in marriages, we can do the easy work. I don't think it's hard work. The easy work of doing one of two things. One, storing this information up in our minds if we hope to be married. And two, contextualizing for the relationships we currently find ourselves in. I don't think that that's too hard because every week when we're not focusing on marriages, most of us are contextualizing for our lives anyway. But today, I wanna speak on the topic of a love that lasts. Um, The idea that all of us in this room are looking to have a love that ultimately lasts the test of time. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning on, on on a variety of different points that contributes to a love that lasts. We're going to land ourselves today in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 11. I'm going to read that out in just a moment. And then we're going to be jumping around to a lot of different passages this morning. If you're a note taker, And I encourage everybody to be note-takers of some kind. Like, if you can store all of this up in your mind, do that. That's great note-taking. But if you can't store things up in your mind, pull out a phone, pull out a notebook, be in the habit of, uh, of remembering things because notes always remember. And I think sometimes we look back on messages, oh, I wish I could remember what was said. A great way to remember what was said is to take some notes coming into church, adding as much intentionality to the exercise of hearing God's word as we do to a work exercise or when we're in school taking notes. Let's be intentional about that which we learn. And so I'm going to be jumping around a lot. In Second Peter, Um, chapter 1, 3 to 11, I want to just give you a reminder that he's writing to a church that is being heavily persecuted by Emperor Nero in Asia Minor. This is modern-day Turkey, okay? So in in Asia Minor, these believers are being heavily persecuted, and Peter is trying to focus their minds and focus their, their hearts focus their lives, focus their intention on living lives that set themselves apart from the persecutors so that their persecutors might actually come into a knowledge of who Jesus is. Additionally, Paul, Peter is also trying to invite the early church not to just a nomadic faith, but also a faith that all of a sudden starts seeing themselves as not just individuals that are fleeing something, but as a group that is a part, uh, that, that is a part of a family, a family of God. And so he's trying to establish family, and he's trying to establish a witness in the early believers. So that we got to hold that in mind—that that, that idea—as we read through this passage in just a moment. And as we get to verses five through nine, that's where we're going to like really hone in today, and that's that's the element that we're going to apply to marriages today because he's talking about calling in general, and we're going to we're going to apply these passages, these verses specifically to marriages today. So in Second Peter chapter one. Verses 3 to 11, it says this. You can follow along on the screen behind me. It says, his divine power, speaking about God, of course, has given us everything we need for godly living, um, for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The, through these, uh, sorry, why am I having such a hard time reading my own notes here? Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and this is where we're going to land today, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self control, and to self control, perseverance, and to pers- perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it means that they're growing in you. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on. We're going to pray today, and if you're sitting beside your spouse or your significant other, why don't you just grab their hand as we begin to pray a blessing over uh, even what we're going to hear today, that it would actually not just um, be some words that we hear, but something that we can put into practice um, in, in our marriages and in our relationships today. God, we just thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it reminds us of uh, what it looks like to live a godly life, a life in, in full view of those around us that would actually direct others unto you, uh, a life, Father, that draws us closer into community. Father, I pray today is that as we hear these words, whether we, are, um, whether we are married or not, that, God, these words would be a blessing to our souls today, and that ultimately as we leave this place that we would feel built up um, in, in, in our faith and in, in our, in our relationships and what the possibility that they could be in you. So we pray this in Jesus name and everybody said, amen, man. Over the past two weeks, I've had you take your spouse's hand twice. And for some of us, that's the only time we've held our spouse's hand this month. And I just think that maybe a, a starting place for all of us is to hand uh, hold our, our, the hands of our spouses just a little bit more. Um, what I want to do today is actually want to just break down these seven points that Peter talks to us today. I want to break down goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, uh, and how they apply to our marriages. And how am I going to do this in about 20, 25 minutes? I don't know. Uh, this, might just, <laughs> this message might make, a, make the next service late once again. Uh, that might be the end result of this is that we start the next service late again. Uh, the end result of this is my, we might get through two or three but as we jump into this, I, I hope that you'll take hold of this passage and understand how it applies to your life. The first thing I want to touch on is that this passage is specifically dealing with calling and this word election. I'm not going to get into election too much today because that is a whole topic unto itself. We could do a whole series on election. Um, but we're going to talk about this idea of calling and, and why this, um, the application of this passage applies even to marriages. Here's the thing that we have to understand about marriages and when it, what it has to do with calling. First of all, if we understand calling... Calling really has to do with our with with um, how God's giftings and the things that He's uh, He's um, uh, given us in terms of talent, gifting, uh, skill, all the rest, connected to what God's up to in the world around us. Now, God's up to a lot of different things in the world around us. He's not just up to things within his church, but he's up to things outside of the church. He's up to things in the marketplace. He's up to things in politics. He's up to things in relationships. He's up to things in a, in a various a variety of different areas. And that's why when we hear the term calling within church, what we can't hear is, oh, this is for all the people that feel like they are called to ministry. That's been something that has been slowly over time... Uh, uh, misconstrued to the point where all of us feel like unless we are somehow in full-time ministry that the idea of calling doesn't apply to us. Calling is taking all that gifting that God has done to us and applying it to the things that God's up to in our workplaces and our families and in the places that we find ourselves in. And so calling is, is quite simple. Take all that God's given you in the place you find yourself and live it out in such a way that people glorify God in heaven. I think, I don't know about you, but that can be applied to every area of my life, both to the areas that really are for me, full-time ministry, but also when I'm playing baseball and when I'm with friends and all the rest, it can be applied to anything. And therefore, it can also be applied to our marriages. What does it look like to take all that God has given us and applying it to give God glory even in our relationships and our marriages? Now, here's a quick note on marriage that will make a lot of us uncomfortable, You have the Sadducees that come to Jesus, and they're like, um, uh, every time I say the word Sadducees, I always think of the the, that that term. Like, they're Sadducees. They're sad, you see. Uh, I think that was that from like uh, Veggie Tales. (laughs) I don't know where I got that from, but they were they were a sad group of people, and they come to Jesus. They're trying to they're trying to like um, catch him and like, hey, uh, you know, Jesus. There's this woman who is married. Her husband died. He had six, seven brothers. Um, all of them started to die, but they got married to her because that's what they are supposed to do in their culture. Um, when the end times come, when, when, when we're all taken up into heaven, which one of these uh, men is going to be this woman's husband? They're like, oh, we got Jesus on this one. First of all, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the afterlife. So that's, I mean, they're trying to debate Jesus on, on something that they didn't even have knowledge in themselves, which is really just, uh, this is a rabbit trail, but this is, this is exactly what our world is doing right now. Okay, when you think like, oh my goodness, like the world has a great point on this, dig like two shovel uh, digs deeper and you will find the world is taking sound bites and throwing it at you to set almost these gotcha phrases like somehow, oh, we've cornered them now. They haven't thought about this one now. Here's the great thing about the Christian faith. Over the course of 2,000 years, there are not too many questions that haven't been unturned and overturned and been answered. So here's the thing. You have a deep and rich heritage in the church, and this is why we need to read not just new authors that are looking to make lots of money off of new book deals, but we need to read old authors and people that have been writing for years and centuries and the knowledge that have been passed down generation to generation because just like Jesus, when he stumped with a got you question, there's actually something so much deeper to this. Now here's the uncomfortable truth for all of us who are married. Jesus responds to the the Sadducees with this phrase. He says, do you not know that there will not be marriage in the afterlife? And all of us that are so obsessed with our spouses, like, I mean, some of us that aren't obsessed with our spouses, we're like, thank God, oh my gosh. (laughs) But for those of us that, like, wake up, we're on vacation, we're holding one another's hands, like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And Jesus is like, there's no marriage in the afterlife. You're like, whoa, you have just offended every part of me and every part of them. I'm not happy with it. And yet, this speaks to, speaks to something about marriage to us, about how God sees marriage. Marriage is a part of our calling and something God has gifted us with. It is a gift, believe it or not, for some of us that struggle to see it that way as, as, at times. It is a gift that God has given us that is meant to be used to bring the other into deeper relationship with God. Remember, we touched on this last week. God creates Adam. Adam is in, in perfect harmony with God, nature. Uh, he wasn't a hippie, but he was just like in the garden. Just perfect. Everything's perfect. This is, this is the, for the, the uber Christian, this is like, this is what, the, what we all want. Like perfect harmony, no sin, nothing uh, uh, pulling us away from God, nothing, nothing uh, vying for our attention or our desires. This is the environment that Adam finds himself in. And yet God looks down at Adam and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And for my uber spiritual brother or sister that says, no, no, all you need is God and prayer. And to be in your prayer clothes. that's all you need. God looks down in that very environment and says, no, 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 no. It's not good for Adam to be alone. And he creates Eve for Adam. What a beautiful gift. But it's a gift that is meant to bring these two closer to relationship with their heavenly father and the creator of the universe. So this is what we have to understand about our relationships from the very start, is that unless we're propelling one another closer to God, we are not living into the calling of what marriage looks like on this side of eternity. Because everything we do should be moving our, 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 our spouse, the other in that relationship, closer to Jesus. And this is why... When Peter's talking about calling, and he's talking about what we should be doing in our calling, and he specifically makes these words, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. And he's saying, hey, apply this to every area of your life, but today we'll focus on how can we move one another closer to God By applying these things to our marriages. Are you guys ready? Because we're going to hit seven quick, maybe quick things. I might even just get to a couple and just say the word and be like, there, you got it. Go study it at home. But there's a few that I really want to touch on. Goodness. Let's start with goodness. Guys, marriage is supposed to be good. God created it. God put it in the garden. It's like outside of all of the natural things that we see around us, sky, sea, sea. Uh, birds, animals, trees, grass, all the rest. Like outside of all that natural goodness that God created, the very next thing he created was marriage. The very next thing that God created after all that he said was very good, after he created humans, he lets Adam be on his own for a little bit and then He says, this isn't working. Creates Eve, creates marriage. It's the very next thing that God creates. See, in our lives, one of the things that we have to start with is just because marriage at times isn't good, everybody knows this, Right? Anybody that's been married for at least five minutes knows. Like, wait, I thought this was gonna be perfect, and then you're like, oh my gosh, like, what? <laughs> who have I married? I think like on the very first uh, day of Emma and I being married, it's like time to get to the to the 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 flight, and she's like, oh my gosh, I thought that like Brandon's inability to show up on time was going to leave him when we got married and all of a sudden we're running at we actually weren't but like just like like you wake up next to the person that was sinful the next day after you're married the same way that they were the day before they got married like we there are a lot of aspects let's just call it out there's a lot of aspects of marriage that aren't good aren't good and it's just like arguing i mean the other day um <laughs> one of the kids either kenzie at the other they said to um em and i they're like stop arguing and this is the frustrating thing, okay? Is that M and I weren't even arguing. I was like, what do we sound like normally? <laughs> like, this is embarrassing. What do you mean? We're not even arguing in this moment. There's a lot of things that we look at it and we get into it. We're like, man, this is frustrating. One of, our, one, one of the partners in the relationship looks at finances differently. You're like, I wish that you would just spend a dime. And the other's like, I wish that you would leave a dime in the bank account. Like, what is going on? There's so many aspects, but the place that we have to start is that God created marriage to be good. So when our relationships and our marriages feel like they are out of the goodness equation, The question is, that the doubts that shouldn't arise within our souls is, oh, this must mean that marriage is not good. Maybe maybe the world's right on this one. Maybe that marriages can't last. Maybe this is just for the select few. Maybe this is just for my grandparents' generation. No, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do I get back into alignment with, with God's goodness? It's not a question of whether or not God intended it to be good. It's often a question of whether or not we are carrying ourselves with the type of integrity that makes it good. This is something that my friend Robin Waller has to say about making discipleships and living in relationship with one another. He said, the largest churches in the world may reach a few tens of thousands of people at a time. Rocket-like growth may include adding a few thousand attendants in a year. It is tempting to be impressed by these metrics, but they pale in comparison to the impact of multiplication. Historically, the most influential movements of the church have always been built around mobilizing ordinary saints to multiply the goodness of Jesus to those who have never heard his name. Some of the most impactful people in my life are couples that stood the test of time and multiplied the goodness of Jesus to those all around them and drew me and and my family and those around us into greater awareness of the goodness of God. We've been spending a lot of time with the Clomphuses, uh, Matthias and, and um, this is when you're like, why did I bring up names? Because you're like, yo, a lot of time right? And Claudia. I was like, well, don't blank on her name now. Matthias and Claudia. And man, Emma and I have been spending some time with them just because we've been just like gleaning so much goodness from their relationship. And I think the Clomphuses would be the first people to tell you, they're a part of our church for those of you that aren't aware of who they are. But they're the first people that tell you that they've been through some rocky patches. There hasn't been, it hasn't always been good. There's been some really, really hard moments. And I'll leave all those if you want to go question on them. Just like give them, the, give them a quiz on, on like tell us about all the bad parts of your marriage. I'm sure they'll be, they just want, would love to hear from 100 people today. Um, but one thing that we admire about this couple is that when we sit with them, the goodness of God that they've stored up in their life, that they've pursued in their life, continues to exude from them to the point where our family is getting better by just being near them. That's the purpose of our marriages. It's not that we would look good to the people around us. We are so fickle when it comes to our relationships. Some of us would be more satisfied with people on Instagram thinking that we are good than people being discipled because we actually have real goodness happening in our relationship that multiplies it amongst Jesus' followers. And one of the things that I love about getting around healthy couples is that you immediately start to get healthier, or it starts to highlight the things that you need to work on in your life. By pursuing goodness in our relationships, it's not just a benefit to me and myself and our family unit that we seclude from the rest of the world. It begins to be something that multiplies outwardly, and all of a sudden, disciples are made through the example that we set in our relationships. I don't know about you. But pursuing goodness in my marriage is worth making disciples on the other side of it. And I don't want it to be just something that is secluded from everybody else because it's my family, us four and no more. In our case, us six and no more. But it's actually something that's meant to be spread out amongst others. Here's what Philippians 4, chapter 8 to 9 says about goodness. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. It's on the other side of thinking about good things and thinking about good things in our relationships and our marriages. That's when peace comes in. Way too many of us are waiting to feel ourselves into action versus acting ourselves into the right feeling. And if we wait to feel the right things before we do the right things, we will never have peace in our souls. But if we take this encouragement in Philippians, apply it to our relationships, and think on the goodness of God and bring it into our relationships, we will begin to act rightly or we will begin to feel rightly because we were acting rightly. When I look at my own life, the reality is, is that I often don't think about whatever is right and pure and noble and true and lovely and admirable. Like how much of our thought life in our relationships, our marriages, or even just our personal lives are actually like littered with the opposite. And sometimes I'll use like, well, you know, this is, this is just, I just have a bad mental health day or I grew up with a mental Thing. And so that, and, and that's that's true. For you, those of you that don't know my story, like I, I struggled growing up with, with uh, with some really big mental stuff. But but we can't blame anything. Like like me. Here's what sometimes my days look like. I wake up, and if I was to pray before I started my day, and this is something I try to do, and I do it very rarely, unfortunately. But it's something. I, I it's a new practice I'm trying to do more and more. Which is I take my calendar, and when I jump into the shower, too much information. I, I, I look over my calendar before I jump in the shower. And then while I'm in the shower, I just try to pray through every element of my day. God, could you be a part of this meeting? Oh, God, i got to meet up with Nate again. Please help me in that meeting with Nate. He's going to show me how much I need to grow in Christ because he's so wonderful. And I just always feel, <laughs> you guys thought it was Nate, but it's really me. Um, but you go through all of these different things. And, and I'm trying to pray through these things. But guess what happens on a normal day? i wake up kind of nervous about the day because there's a lot of big things I have going on. So rather than turning to God, I turn to my phone. And rather than turning to God, what starts to happen is I start to get more worried about the things that are going on in my day. In fact, the feeling of stress gets me before I even open up my eyes. I know I wanna stay in bed because of the stress of the day. I don't even know what the stress of the day is gonna hold. I just feel the stress of the day. And what that results in my life is I start walking around my house and I walk around my house looking for issues everywhere. I go, well, that floor is starting to slope, and that crack, was that there when we moved in, or is that new? And I look into my backyard, and I'm like, man, we still haven't done that, and I still need to weed that, and I start piling on all this stuff, and then somebody tells me one negative thing that's happening in the church community, and I go, oh, man, like, I wish that that wasn't happening. And guess what ends up at the end of my day? I don't end up as a person of peace. I end up as a person of misery. And guess what people of misery do? They don't add goodness and joy to their marriages, to their families, to their relationships. Because everywhere you go, this dark cloud is surrounding around you. And this is why God says, in order to get goodness in relationships, we got to add goodness to our minds. And we got to do it frequently. And we got to do it at the start of our day. And we got to be disciplined in it. Otherwise, why do we expect anything else to result from the life that we're living? Man, I wish I could... You know what, maybe what we'll do sometime is we'll actually just like break this down into a series and do a seven-week series on each of these topics. Because I think I could probably just go on that one. But I got six more. Ready for the next one? Knowledge. What does knowledge have to do with a good marriage or a good relationship? Well, the way that the word knowledge is uh, used within this particular, um, this particular uh, instance is knowledge of God. Our, our knowledge of who God is in our relationships. Now, how does knowledge of who God is impact our marriages? Well, in so many different ways. But I like the way that Francis Chan puts this. He says, though we primarily think of the Bible as something we read in order to gain knowledge, we actually have it backward. The Bible reads us. It penetrates to our core and exposes who we really are. I was expecting more of a reaction from that one. Come on, Brian. This is, like, that's a good word. I think so many times like it's easy and I've seen this I mean I see it in our church sometimes it bothers me I tend to avoid these type of people but the people that are like they're just they they're proud of the knowledge they have about scripture there can't there can't be more of an oxymoron in the Christian faith than being proud about the things you know about God what an what an odd thing to carry around and to hold above other people as you try to be in relationship with them you ever try to be in a relationship with somebody that's always right about God? That's not a relationship that you hold very closely. The reason that we want to be filled up with knowledge is not that we would be puffed up with knowledge as Paul says elsewhere in Corinthians, but that it's, we might actually live out of a deep awareness of our faults in comparison to this glorious God. What that results in, hopefully, in our lives is not shame and doubt and guilt and all the things that come for those that don't know Christ but it actually should result in, in thankfulness and gratitude and a feeling of mercy in the light that God actually paid a price for the chasm that exists between the way we live and who God really is. That's the beauty of living in relationship with God. Eugene Peterson, um, uh, and of course Eugene Peterson wrote an entire translation of scripture called The Message. And it's just a great way to read Scripture within language that actually makes sense to the modern-day listener. It's not great to study from because it's a paraphrase. But it's a great um, uh, uh, translation of the Bible to go to to just get Scripture into you in a natural way. And so he, I mean, he's definitely an authority or was an authority on Scripture before he passed. And and, uh, he has this to say about the biblical definition of knowledge. He says, knowledge wasn't just storing up information in a mental warehouse, it was the disciplined practice of thinking, imagining, formulating, and testing for the truth. Here's the reality. All around us right now, marriage and the way in which God has instituted it is, is under attack. And I don't think it's under attack from like some spooky like, agenda that's out there. I just think it's the principalities of darkness. And, and that's another rabbit trail I wish I could go down today is there's not like... Just so you're aware, there's not like these back rooms. Well, there might be a couple of them, but there's there's generally not back rooms where people are conspiring against your life. Like the 20 richest people have a meeting on this island every year and you can't believe they planned what happened last week on this day and it will revolutionize your life once you know this. That's not how it works. I wish it was that easy. If it were that easy, I'd just say like, let's find out where these people are and make sure they don't meet up. Unfortunately, it's deeper than that. We serve God, and he has an enemy, and the enemy is also at work in the hearts and the minds of the people. And really, it doesn't take a genius to understand that when people aren't serving God, then they're, they're likely being impacted by the enemy, and what begins to happen is, is knowledge, the knowledge that God has for our lives gets diluted and polluted by, by this other force, the enemy, the devil, and all of a sudden, if we're not living by God, we're living by another force, and here's the thing, people aren't conspiring, they're just not serving God. And by not serving God, you you literally aren't about God's purposes. And so therefore, what we find ourselves and what we look within Scripture is what God is trying to lead us into is a knowledge of what he's actually created marriage for, relationships for. And when we get that, it not only benefits our relationships, but everybody else around us. What I wanted to touch on there quick, and I'll just say this sentence, is it's also not just about knowing God. In our marriages, we need to know one another. It, it is really easy to just think like, well, I've been, I've been with this person for 30 years. I know who they are. Oh, do you? Is that why you still argue about that thing that... It's like I, I remember posting a, a few months ago, I was like, new tube of toothpaste, only one day till civil war breaks out. It's like depending on where you... It's like, do you really know? Like, like we had to realize just the other day, like Emma and I were having a discussion. She's like, oh, now I know why you get frustrated about certain things around the house because you care about like... The, like, little aesthetics of, like, what the trim looks like. And you care about, like, house design. And she's like, I could just live the way things are forever. I'm happy. And I'm like, that drives me nuts. Like, we should care about the trim. And what about the angle of this doorway? Like, we should. And she's like, it's fine. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, that's we're just learning about one another. But honestly, it is, okay, I said I wasn't going to go into that point, but I just did. Next. Self-control, oh my gosh, something that I need to exhibit within this message, self-control. Man, this has everything to do with mastery over our desires and our passions. The reality is is that we live in a world that is encouraging ourselves to just give in to what feels right. Again, we are waiting for the right feeling to lead us to the right action. Feeling ourselves into action will almost always lead to things that will destroy our souls. John Mark Comer said it this way, one of the great problems of spirituality in our day and age is that so few people feel safe enough to admit how separated we feel from God. Here's the reality. If we could just be a, admit, admit to ourselves how far we feel from God with one another, that's, that, that is like the key to being drawn closer to God. The moment we can realize and admit it, uh, the, one of the things I loved about um, growing up in my, in my father's household, my, like my, my actual dad, um, was that we would go on runs together, and many of you know this, but we go on runs anywhere from three kilometers uh, to 10 kilometers, and I would pray that we would go on 10 kilometer runs together, like may this be a 10 kilometer day, and not because I like the like feeling that it gave my legs and my lungs and all the rest, but because I get to, got to spend 10 kilometers of running with my dad, and we would go and we would talk, and it's amazing how many times I just say, Dad, I just don't... I don't feel like a good Christian. There are many times in my teens I'd say to my dad, Dad, I just don't even know if I am a Christian. And it wasn't because I didn't believe in God. It's just because I had missed. It's amazing what happens when you just can utter those words. I don't feel good. I don't feel like I have self I don't feel like I, all of a sudden, the admission to that, to another brother or sister, immediately, what, what, it, what it allows for is a flooding of the truth to come in. And what the flooding of the truth comes is, is it deals with all the lies that you've been believing. And what it allows you to do is build yourself up with self-control. Self-control, interestingly, is not one of these things, um, contrary to popular belief in society right now, that we can just will ourselves into. Now, science will say that willpower is something that can be built. If we look at the brain and the effect that willpower has on our brains, the more we exert willpower, the more our brains are constructed to handle uh, moments where we need to exert willpower upon that. So if you're feeling weak, the best thing you can do is to exert willpower and eventually it will continue to grow. Now, that's great on, on on a biological level, but there is a reality that is deeper than that. And it's that self-control isn't just about willpower. It's about overcoming and finding mastery over errant uh, passions and desires that we all have. And the only way to exert self-control from a spiritual standpoint is to have the Holy Spirit active and alive in our lives. Because when we look at Galatians 5, what we see is that that Paul is outlining to the church in Galatia that one of the ways in which we receive the fruit of the Spirit is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to receive self-control is literally by receiving the Holy Spirit himself. And by receiving the Holy Spirit, we actually receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one of those is self-control. Now, I don't think I need to describe to you how a lack of self-control can destroy marriages, but unfortunately, a lack of self-control is destroying more marriages today than it ever has. Okay. One person that didn't grow up in church I won, one time, I think, I don't know if it was a comment about our church or another church. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I went, it was cool, seemed really young, pastor was young, they did this weird Oscar thing at the end where like it was time for the speaker to wrap up and they had somebody like play him off the stage. And I was like, I never pictured it that way. But that's kind of funny, isn't it? That kind of is how we use it. It's like, hey, it's time to wrap up, pastor. The only difference is is that the pastor is the one that requests it. (laughs) If they aren't getting it, could you come up and play keys so that maybe they could get it with keys behind it? Um... Self control is destroying. Actually, start, maybe you could just stand there. Maybe I'm like, no, you can stand there. That'd, that'd be great. Actually, why don't you come back in four minutes and then we'll, we'll wrap up then. Can we give it up for uh, Jackie. Yeah. You should come back after the ten fifteen where Colin is getting baptized, which I really stoked a bit. It's super exciting. Just because I actually I want to this self control piece is, is potentially. Self-control doesn't just have to do with sexual immorality. It's the first thing that we all go to. It's like, well, yeah, if you're looking at porn in your marriage, it's going to impact your marriage. Would anybody disagree with that? Probably not. Like, when, when a male or a female in a marriage is looking at pornography, I don't think they're looking at it like, oh, this is really going to benefit my marriage. I don't even think that they're, they're thinking about it that way in the world. They're just like, oh my gosh, this is really going to empower, this is going to really make my partner feel like more themselves. Um, that's, that's not happening, right? It's the lesser things where we don't have self-control that are often the things that are really ruining things. Not having self-control in the midst of an argument when you want to say that thing and you're like, yeah, screw it, I'm going to say it. That's destroying your marriage. Often, I mean, we know we need to get pornography and all the big things out of our marriage. We know that. But do we know that there are these lesser things that begin to seep in? And if we don't get those things in order in our lives, those things have the potential to break down our marriage more than anything else. Like as a young husband, the amount of times that I had to leave a room because I didn't know how to handle my own emotions, and I had to start getting the self-control to not leave the room. Some of us need to just have the self-control to not leave the room when, when we're in an argument with our spouse and stay in the game and stay in the moment and then mutually agree that if that's not healthy, hey, let's take a five-minute break and come back once we've cooled down but just leaving the room because you couldn't handle it, like have some self-control. God is actually asking a little bit more of us. Or what does it look like to have self-control as people that are working and, and care about our careers? Like what would it look like instead of reaching for our phone every time a notification pops up on our watch, instead, what would what what it look like to actually stay present with the families that we've, we've said that we're gonna give our lives to? Like I think sometimes if we were to go back and read the vows that we made, and, man, like, modern-day vows are insane. They're, like, like, when we, like, when Em and I did our vows, it was quite easy. It was, like, I think at one point, the rich or poor, we're, like, when we are rich and if we are poor. That's the only, like, it's the only uh, when we are, uh, if we are rich, when we are poor. That was the only, yeah, we, like, we're, like, we are, <laughs> we are already manifesting richness into our, we just decided to take a moment of manifesting in the middle of our relationship. Like, um, but that's the only, like, alteration we made to our vows. Now, like, the latest wedding, and, I mean, you might be here, Brandon and Destiny, but these guys, like, they had, like, five pages. And I'm like, man, like, if I was married now, I'd, I'd keep it real quick. Like, I promised to, like, make it to the end. Because, like, if some of us looked back at our vows, man, what would it look like to just take those words and operate in self-control when it comes to those things. Like even just those things, the basics, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, a variety of other things. Like, what would it look like to just operate in self-control in those things? Because in reality, when I get sick, I think every time Emma's like, I don't know if we're gonna make it. I'm terrible to be around when I'm sick. I like just, I lose my mind. I like, I get a little cold and I'm just like, that's it, I'm gonna stay in bed for at least 48 hours. I'm done. I think on WebMD, I think I might have something that will be life-threatening. <laughs> I should just sit here and wait it out. But man, it's like when our partner is hangry, when they're sick, when they're going through things, when they're struggling with other relationships, friendships outside of the marriage, do we have the self-control to walk with them and not just interject our feelings every single step of the way? Self-control while absolutely necessary for our marriages um, can only be given through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand that if we're trying to go about our marriages just in our own strength, that's probably why we're struggling. We need God's power to walk with us through every single moment so that we can be built up in all that God has called us to. I'm not gonna get through all these, but that's okay, I'm gonna try. Uh, Jackie, you can come back up. <laughs> She's like, I don't wanna have that happen again. She's literally waiting like, am I... Perseverance. I mean, this is the goal. Everybody looks at a couple that's been married for 60, 60 years. That's pretty, that's pretty long. 40, 50, 60 years. And they go, man, that's, that's the goal. You know, that's, uh, that's the goal. And in reality, the only way that you get there is by every day choosing one another. It's not just choosing each other once, but it's actually choosing each other every step of the way. And so on the first day of marriage... You, you choose the other person. And Emma will often say this. On the first day of marriage, you choose one another. And every day after that, you love your choice. And I think for a lot of us, it's hard to love that choice because life happens, and it looks like, well, maybe maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't uh, matter that much or you know maybe we can get so many influencing thoughts in our minds, and the reality is we have to love our choice day by day. This person isn't perfect. and if you're on the other side of the marriage, you'd be struggling with the same thoughts in reverse. This is why Paul writes to Timothy and he says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness, I skipped down. This is, what, this is what I wanted to read um, from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The beautiful thing about perseverance is that we're not just exhibiting it ourselves. But this verse in Hebrews is giving us the imagery that all of these people, these great heroes of the faith that have gone before us, are literally cheering us on in the race towards. Peru. They understand, like all these, all these great heroes of the faith that are watching us, just go, they're cheering us on because they know what it, what it's like to add perseverance to our life. It's not easy. That's why the call is to persevere. That's why the call is to endure. That's why the call is to add these things to our life because it's not easy. It's not something that the world exhibits, but it's something that the church and marriages in the church can exhibit for those outside of the church of what it looks like for Christ to love the church, to hold fast to one another, even when it's difficult. I'm gonna end there. Why don't we stand up? I think what I'm probably gonna do is I'm probably gonna give the next three to Jared to just, he'll just have notes that I'll give him. He'll touch on those next week. Every every service will get like a different amount of words next week. (laughs) The next service will get two, This service will get three. Hey, the thing that I want you to take away because there's so much more that we could say about each of these things is this is that marriage is hard. Relationships are hard, but it's worth it because God is using those very things to shine a light to all of those around us. And for those of us that feel too broken, maybe there's been some big things that have happened in our relationship or our marriage. We go, man, I just feel a lot of guilt or shame around that. The great thing about scripture is that it, it actually, it recognizes those things alongside the life that God is calling us to. Saying that this is the standard. If we can all reach the standard and set a light, that's amazing. But even when things don't go well and even when things go off the rails and even when it feels like things are out of our control or we look at one of those elements and we're like, we already completely, like completely failed at it. When When we think those things about ourselves, this is the goodness of the story of God is that Jesus died on a cross and still paid the price for every situation that we find ourselves in and still sets an example for those outside of the church that even when it goes wrong, God's way is better. That even when things failed, God never fails. Even when we feel like, man, just how did it turn out like that? Well, guess what? God is even bigger than that, and he's still using each and every one of us to accomplish his will on earth. And so, yeah. But you don't want to start with that because there's a lot of us in this room right now that need to take the encouragement to fight a little bit harder, love a little bit longer, and invite God in consistently so that we can set an example for the world that we live in. So why don't we close our eyes and if you're here today and I just wanna pray once again over marriages but like right now, I just wanna give some privacy because I wanna give some ownership to couples in the room or maybe individuals in the room that are struggling with relationship right now. Um, I wanna give some room for you to just reflect. Like here's one of the things that happens when we open God's word is each of us begins to reflect on our own relationship status and the things that are going on and there's moments of encouragement and then there's moments of conviction. And I believe that everything that the Holy Spirit is doing in everybody's minds and hearts and souls in the room while somebody is communicating God's word, I believe that all of it is trying to draw us closer to who Jesus is. Reminding us that none of us can actually live this out but only God can give us the strength to do it. And so if you're here today, and and this is why I just want every eye closed, head bowed, and you're just going, you know what, I'm having some struggles. And we're going to open up broadly so you don't have to like out your spouse right now. But if you're just going, I'm having either some struggles, we're having some struggles as a married couple, we're having some struggles with uh, in a relationship or there's a a child that we're having having struggles with and, and, and you're just asking for God's strength in that area. I'm not gonna ask anybody to hold up their hand for a long time, but if you could just lift it up and bring it down. I think what that'll do is just say, it's just obedience, just going, hey God, I need your help in this area of my life. Put it back down and just go, God, I, this is me outwardly saying, no, I actually need some help here. If that's you, can you just do that real quick? Just, hey, God, I'm just outwardly symbolizing. I need your help here. I need your help. It's not easy. Thank you. There's a lot of of vulnerability happening. Again, that's not for me to know. My eyes are mostly closed in this moment. But that's for you to just say, listen, God, we need you. And so can we all just, wherever we find ourselves and band, as you begin to join, can we just begin to pray for relationships in our church? Father, I thank you that at the end of the day, you sent Jesus. Jesus, we are, we are, We are awed at what you did on the cross, mainly because what it is, is it set an example for all of the rest of history that we would always be missing the mark, but you would always be able to draw us back. And so God, I pray for whatever we find ourselves in this room, whatever our relationship statuses look like, whatever the relationship looks like uh, like between spouses or between parent and child or between friends. Father, I pray right now in this moment that you would be able to accomplish in your strength what we are unable to accomplish in ours. Father, I pray I pray for every wayward child. God, I pray for every, um, every spouse that has left somebody in the room. God, I pray for every, um, for every um, spouse that, 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 is, that is holding on with stubbornness. God, I pray for every overbearing uh, uh, um, partner, God. I pray for all of the things that begin to seep into our relationships that get us sidetracked from the goodness of who you are. Father, I pray that you would just rush in with your glory. Father, I pray that you would rush in with your might. God, I pray that you would rush in with your peace. Father, I pray that you would show up in such a real way that we might still be able to emanate the light and the goodness of who you are. God, we are thankful that we don't have to do this journey alone, and that you've called us, Father, to walk alongside you and partner with you as you begin to reach all of those that have not yet called on your name. So, Father, I pray for those of us in the room that are in maybe okay relationships, that, God, you would make them great. Father, I pray that for those of us that are walking in the brokenness of relationship, that, God, you would build something beautiful out of the rubble of what we have left. Father, I pray for those of us that are pursuing great things in our relationships, even right now. God, I pray that we would not forget you in the equation of what you're trying to do. And God, I pray that it would be through this church that, Father, we would set such a good example for the actually glorify your name in heaven. Father, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody say amen. Now, thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.